You may never actually tell a joke, but you can still have a sense of humor by getting jokes or having a smile on your face. A lot of times it's less about being funny as it is being fun and being open to having fun. This is Skilled by Design, a podcast for experienced designers and product managers that want to deliberately grow their skills and become better humans in the process. I'm your host, Tommy Bay, and today I'm talking with Scott Christopher. Scott has had a, a varied career. Uh, he's an actor, has recurring roles on NCIS, did a show called Granite Flats, among many other TV shows and movies. He wrote a book called The Levity Effect. He does voiceover work. He's a public speaker. Uh, he's a levity consultant, and he's a good friend. Scott, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So, where did where to even begin? I mean, you've you've dabbled in so many things. It's been fun getting to know you over the years, and I'm always surprised when oh, Scott's written several books. I I didn't realize, you know, <laughs> Scott's Scott's doing, you know, he's doing CSI again. Wow, you know, like so. It's no, that's a good that's a good that's a good place. Um, let me let me. Let me start first by allaying your concerns that these books are at all readable. I'm not an author per se, by profession or trade or by nature. I can write um, and I can, I can help fix other people's writings, but I myself, and I'm really good at English. I don't, that actually might even be a wrong sentence to say. But anyway, I, I was able to read when I was three. I've, I, I kind of grasped the English language pretty early on. And so I can write a joke. I can write an anecdote. But these books, I truly only wrote, I'm putting in air quotes, because I'm also a public speaker and, and a bit of a consultant. And you almost need to be in 2022. You need to be published somehow, some way. Even if it's you know just ebooks or digital audio or whatever, I, I do like to go the old-fashioned route with actual hardcover books. But that's that's the story behind the books. They are truly the vehicle that gets me speaking gigs. If <laughs> if I sell ten thousand of of one over its lifetime, I'll be fine. You know, like I <laughs> I did not. The only one that got us a pretty big advance was the levity effect, and unfortunately, the timing was terrible because it came out in 2008. And I don't know if your economic mind remembers <laughs> the significance of 2008. You know, I was just starting a 401k, whatever it was. And now it's gone. You know, it was a horrible time. And here we were coming out with this book on why it pays to lighten up. And, you know, the world was just so ticked off then. And so nobody was running to, uh, you know, to their local Barnes and Noble to grab 10 copies of the levity effect. But so, so Wiley, who published Moby Dick, you know, they're an East Coast, huge, huge publisher. They gave us a pretty significant advance on this book. And I think they probably still are 100,000 in the hole. You know, what I mean, <laughs> that's their fault. That, that's on them. Anyway, sorry. Good. Well, well, I read The Levity Effect and I, I liked it. I thought that there was a lot of good stuff in there. That that particular book, I did have a co-author on and by the name of Adrian Gostick. And he is now one of the world's most respected authors and consultants 
on workplace culture. He's gone on to write, him and his partner, Chester Elton, have written many, many books. Gostick and Elton, I mean, they're, they are a thing. So yeah, he, he co-authored it with me, but it was my idea. Most of the writing is mine. Most of the research he got. I mean, it's, it's a legit book. The other couple that I've done are kind of just me sitting in my office, just sort of stream of conscious clacking on an old typewriter, you know. <laughs> for effect. So you are known for, for your humor, I think. And, and I'm curious, like, how, how have you cultivated that? Like, when did you realize that that was, you know, a strength of yours and that you were really going to like lean on it? Yeah, I appreciate that, Tommy. I, it's funny. A, I grew up in a, a pretty loud home, raised by a divorced mom, and I was the youngest of four kids. And we kind of leaned on our humor, you know, like laughing through the hard times. Um, there was a time there where we lived in government funded projects in Michigan and in other very low income areas throughout uh, the Detroit area. And then up into the lower mitten, you know, the lower peninsula in the mitten, just different places wherever she could find work. And so we, we just didn't have the resources to do a lot of the things that most kids my age were doing and could pay for. So we laughed a lot. We played a lot of games. We entertained ourselves. As I mentioned, I could read at a very young age. And so early on, my mother, who always had an award-winning sense of humor, encouraged me to read and expose myself to for example, although I know nowadays he may have fallen out of favor, but I mean, you know, when the next Woody Allen book would come out, because, you know, he's not just a filmmaker, he also wrote, that's kind of how he got to start, but she would have me read Woody Allen's books. <laughs> and I'm telling you, if I don't know if you've ever read anything from Woody Allen. No? No. Okay. I mean, some of his writing, some of his early articles, if you know Dave Barry, who, who is you know, mind-blowingly funny. I was reading Dave Barry. I was reading Woody Allen. And I was starting to just sort of figure out what is funny to me. I was exposed to a lot of sitcom television as a child without a lot to do. So we'd watch the funny shows. And I guess I just sort of started filing away in my head, not, I, not necessarily stealing punchlines, although that's a part of of honing your own skill. A lot of people will ask in my sessions and keynote sessions or training sessions, you know, a sense of humor, how do I get one? And I always say everyone has a sense of humor. I mean, it's, you're not the end all be all humor God. You just have a sense of it, mm -hmm. um, like a sense of timing or a sense of style or whatever. It's a sense, it's a skosh. It's a titch, it's a modicum, whatever you, you have. And by that, I mean, you may never actually tell a joke or make someone laugh until incontinence occurs. That may not be in your future, but you can still have a sense of humor by getting jokes, by laughing at others when they're telling, you know, or having a smile on your face. A lot of times it's, it's less about being funny as it is just about being fun and being open to having fun. And so as a kid, I kind of exposed myself to those different sources of fun and humor. And as I got older, I just started to formulate my own style and brand. And while I never pursued 
a career as a stand-up comic or anyone who specifically relies on comedy to make a living, it has it is a part of who I am. So that when Tommy Bay says you're mostly known for being funny, to me it's like, oh, that's a bonus. I mean, that's a really okay. That's not my. I'm not uh, uh, deliberately trying to be a funny man, even though often I am, but that's not, you know, like, look me up, you know, like I'll, in Wikipedia, it says Scott Christopher, funny man. No, it says Scott Christopher, author, actor, blah, blah, blah. And then the people that know me, they go, oh, and by the way, he's got a really fun sense of humor that he stole from a bunch of other comics. <laughs> So I, I guess I can glean from there some advice that if you, if you don't feel like you are a funny person or that maybe your sense of humor isn't, you know, it's, it's below the modicum level that, that you go and you do your, your research. Great question. Usually I will, I will tell someone just because you don't think something's funny doesn't mean it isn't funny. It just isn't funny to you and vice versa. There is no one sense of humor mold that we all have to fit ourselves into. Everyone, even within the same family, everyone still has their own little quirks, things that make them howl with laughter. And their brother or sister just kind of goes, huh, that's funny. Like there are things that make me laugh, like literally, and it feels so good because it's so therapeutic. There are other things that I find really, really funny, but they don't make me laugh. So, so when someone's trying to discover their own sense of humor, either as a giver or a receiver, but I'm more in the more in the, usually when the question is asked, it's how can I be funnier? You know, what is my sense of humor? And there's three things, exposure, inventory, and application. So let me give you an example. In fact, Adrian Gostick, my co-author of The Levity Effect, was at Lagoon, which you know, but for your listeners, you know, is an amusement park in the Salt Lake City metropolitan area along the lines of a Disneyland, whatever, but <clears throat> a third the cost and a tenth the fun. But anyway, <laughs> his, at the time, his 10-year-old son, Tony, was hungry uh, he was kind of a portly little kid. He's grown in since grown into a very handsome, muscular man, <clears throat> young man. But anyway, Tony's very hungry. They stop off at one of those little concession stands. It's got like the graphic menus with just the pictures of the food. So you don't have to say much, just point at the picture and at your mouth and say, you know, put food here. There's this beautiful picture on this menu of nachos. And it, it is just a nacho volcano piled high. The nacho cheese is everywhere. All the little chives and bacon bits and whatever else. It's a gorgeous display of what could be a really fine meal for a 10 year old. And he points to that picture and he says, set me up my good man. And to the 14 year old kid behind the counter, I want those nachos. The kid takes his $11 or whatever it costs. And he goes and he sits at his seat with his dad, excited to get his nachos. When Sparky brings out the nachos, <clears throat> it literally looks like 7-Eleven fare. Like it is just a little plastic rectangle or a paper rectangular container with round like 
Tostitos, like not at all like the picture, and then just squirts of the orange goo. I mean, it had none of the toppings. It, it didn't have the fresh looking nacho. It just looked awful. He took a picture of it. And if I had it, I would show you because I use it all the time. It's so funny. Long story short, he's obviously very disappointed, but very hungry. So he eats it anyway. He doesn't even demand his money back. He's like, it doesn't matter. But he's 10 years old. As he's leaving the concession area <clears throat> with this disappointed look on his face, he walks past the kid at the counter. He pats his belly and rubs it like, mm -mm, does this sarcastic, mm -mm. does one of these, you know, one of these, you know, where he kind of puts his fingers up to his mouth like a French, Mwah! you know, like makes a kissy thing with his mouth and his hand. And he looks and he points at the picture of the nachos and he says, my compliments to the photographer. <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is, it's, it's pretty doggone funny. I mean, for a 10 year old to slam this kid with my compliments to the photographer, um, his dad, Adrian, just doubled over in pain from the laughter. Now, I tell you that story because I, I, I want you to know, I asked Adrian, I said, is your son some kind of comic savant? Like, holy cow, that's genius level insult burn, right? Mm. And he said, oh, no, no. He, he got that from an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> so, so my point here is, is exposure inventory application. Tony is his name. You know, he's been watching cartoons since he was five, blah, blah, blah. I'm not suggesting that you sit around watching funny videos all day long, but you do need to start receiving humor from some source, whether it's a funny movie that your friend recommends and you go, well, that's not really my, I'm not sure if I just take their advice and try it. You never know. This is you discovering your sense of humor. So you have to be open to things that might make you laugh that you didn't know they would. Oh, I used to listen to these Bill Cosby records. This was years ago, another inappropriate name to bring up, but whatever. He was very, very funny back in the day. You know, and you might say, ah, I saw his show. I didn't think it was that funny. Just listen to the records. They're hilarious. So you listen to the Bill Cosby and you go, oh my, this is really very, very funny stuff. Whatever it is, expose yourself to different types of humor. Uh, inventory, basically just keep track. Remember what you thought was funny and what wasn't. Actually, what wasn't, you don't have to worry about that. But what you thought was funny, file it away. Uh, it can be a genre, it can be a comedian, it can be a publication, it could be whatever it is that you find humorous or amusing. Remember it, bookmark it, save it, whatever, keep going back to it. If it's a YouTube channel that's got really, really funny stuff, whatever it is, this is starting to build who you are as a person who enjoys levity and humor. But the application is key. And that's what Tony did. He remembered something that he thought was clever and funny. And he was able to draw it up from his memory and apply it right in the moment. Now, I'll grant you comic timing can be a gift. That's true. Some people just have it and others don't. But everyone can at least try it. 
if they'll do those two other things. And you'll start to find that even if you're just stealing a great punchline from one of the Jimmies the night before Fallon or Kimball or whoever, Kimmel, you know, the next day at work, it's okay because you can always attribute the credit to them if you want, or if not, if no one notices, then take the credit for yourself, who cares? But it's just, it's just getting out of your shell a little bit and trying to share something funny that you find funny and now you hope that others find fun. You know, Tommy, I hosted a podcast a few years ago and I hated it when people took this long to answer any questions. So I apologize <laughs> in retrospect. I'm going to keep all my answers very short. It's fine. I'll just edit them all out later. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell you, but yeah, since you brought it up. That's true. Okay. Yeah, that story will just it will be cut down to 10 seconds. <laughs> I so I am curious, Scott, about about the business setting side of of this conversation. Like those that are listening and are thinking, yeah, you know, how how can this help me professionally? How can it help them professionally? Well, I'll tell you, no, that's a great question. And I would have eventually gotten around to it, I suppose, because yeah, there has to be a, so <laughs> like, well, that's great, but I wasn't hired to be funny. I wasn't hired to come aboard and be, you know, Kevin Hart at my insurance agency. I was hired to, you know, to sell policies. Well, anyone who's ever particularly been around salespeople know that the ability to lighten up and use humor in any situation, particularly though in sales, is going to help your professional life. You're going to close more deals. You're going to create longer and better lasting business relationships. You're going to, even just those cold calls aren't going to be so awkward and clumsy. Follow-up calls the same way, but, but take it out of a sales setting, putting it in any work environment, the same situation, the same things occur with humor. When we talk about this levity effect, you know, that it, it, it multiplies certain effects. When you're, when you're laughing, they're listening. You know, the communication helps you in meetings to convince people to, to break the ice when there's tension. I was recently, I recently saw a statistic that, I can't remember the, the, the publication, but it said that people who are found to have a sense of humor end up getting uh, higher and sooner pay raises and climbing the corporate ladder faster. And the implication that I, that was taken from this particular body of research was that those people are seen to be smarter and people want to be around them more. So they're also more likely to be promoted to leadership because there are certain characteristics that are so universally appreciated that in any setting, you will to some degree have a leg up on the competition. And one of those that is highly, highly cherished particularly among employees for their bosses is my boss has such a great sense of humor. I love her. It's just, I, 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 I've worked at other places. I've made more money, but this relationship I have with my current manager is just the best. Why does she tell jokes? Does everything that she say start with a guy walks into a bar, go with me on this, you know, no, none of that. In fact, she doesn't even really make me laugh but she has a great sense of humor. 
and particularly in, in rough economic times and with war and disasters and everything else, you know, the person that can keep things somewhat light without trampling upon sacred cows or other, you know, holy symbols of the work environment or elsewhere is a real asset to an organization. I, I love that. I think I've seen that myself with my managers and there, there's a certain relatability if if there's never any levity in your relationship, it's, it's almost like you can never truly connect. I was speaking at at Michelin in South Carolina, I think it was their kind of their U.S. headquarters, and one of the uh, attendees in my like little morning session came up to me during lunch and he said, "I wish my boss had actually come to this session about lightening up and what it can do for you, and your relationships at work." He said, he's the one who sent out the mandatory email saying, saying that we all had to come. And he himself, who is the worst at this, isn't here. He's old school. He's top down, my way or the highway, very autocratic. He's like a dictator. He said, and then he added, incidentally, my brother lives in this HOA little community village thing where he has this guy he's been telling me about for years that is so hilarious and quick with a joke or to light up your smoke. And he's, he's just, he's the best host. He has the biggest TV. All the guys love to be with him. He tells the best stories. I, I feel romantic feelings for him, you know, in a very appropriate way, yada, yada, yada. I said, why are you telling me about this guy who lives at your brother's place? He said, I recently spent the weekend at my brother's, just hanging out with him, watching playoff games, et cetera. They had one of these little parties at the, at the gazebo there at the clubhouse. And this guy that he's been telling me about for years is my boss. He said, I couldn't believe it. He's, he's such a total jerk, so serious, so all the time, just mean, it's so old school. He said, the contrast was frightening. And he said, I felt so bitter that I couldn't even really enjoy how cool he really is. He said, I just kind of stood with my arms folded against the wall the whole time, giving him this death stare. And he said, when I got back to work, I reported it to all of my peers. None of them believed me. They said, you're making it up. I said, I am not. And then when he finally convinced them, they said, what is the matter with him? What makes him think that we wouldn't want to follow that guy 10 times more than the jerk he portrays at work. Unfortunately, a lot of leaders do learn that the hard way. The good news is they learn it. And when they do learn it, they come to me and, uh, and I help support them <laughs> and, ch and change them. <laughs> oh man. I remember uh, those themes from your, from that book, from, from the levity effect. Yeah. You can be yourself and and, and that's okay. Like you shouldn't try to put on some weird persona that, you know, that isn't, that isn't you. Well, authenticity uh, right now is, it's never been more important because this idea of transparency in everything, you know, even to a fault, you know, we, we just got to be so transparent about everything, but as a, as a human being, as a person, as a boss, if you're, if you're not yourself, if you're not authentic and genuine, that's so quickly discovered. You know, we, 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 we can tell when you're being phony right away. So even when I'm 
preaching and teaching to these managers to how to lighten up. Like you say, Tommy, it really is about being yourself. That authenticity component is number one. Don't try to be anyone but yourself. The key is, is to just be your best self. That way you're always sure to be you. You're just kind of weeding out some of the imperfections in your personality that can, you know, harpoon your greatest attempts to connect with people on a social or professional level. And, and humor has a way of doing that. Being self-effacing is the safest kind of humor that you can subscribe to. Self-deprecating. Make fun of yourself. Own your mistakes and have a laugh at them. In a, in a, in a boss situation, you want to be careful you don't go too far because you don't want to lose all credibility. Hey, you really are a total cheapskate scumbag, aren't you? You know, what I mean? <laughs> like, but, but if you own how lame you've been, or that was a dumb joke, or why did I do that? And just kind of, well, lesson learned, that self-deprecating uh, humor, that goes a long way. People love that. Yeah. Yeah. And interesting that you mentioned, you know, don't take it too far. I was talking to someone recently, a really funny fellow, and and I was asking, you know, has has that helped you in your career? And and he said, actually, it hit on occasion caused some problems because I, I had a, a leader tell me that I didn't have the gravitas for for a higher position because you know, I, I wasn't taking the work seriously enough, or that was the perception. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I, I've heard that a lot too. That's usually the pushback that you get is the opposite of levity is gravitas, you know, and, and, and that's, and so people will unfortunately see it as one bucket or another instead of the fact that, no, 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 no. I, I can be just as serious and down to, and, and, you know, down to business as I need to be, but I flavor everything with just a, a sense of lightness so that things aren't too crazy serious to the point of causing stress and, and mental or emotional stress and anxiety among my people, especially again, now where mental illness is just through the roof. Everyone's got a mental illness, everybody. And I say that, I don't mean that mockingly. It's, it's just true from all the stuff and being shut in and the work from home and work at the office, which I mean, there's just so many things that are happening now that you've got to have, you have to allow for a little bit of levity, but yes, if you go too far, and it's a constant thing with you, then you do run the risk of being branded the comic and the comic will never be the king, at least in most traditionalist minds. That's the court jester. That's as far as he'll be promoted, mm -hmm. is jester status. He's a very important part of our organization. Can't do without him. I've had jobs where I essentially was told that. You know, professionally, you're not terribly proficient, but you do bring so much joy to the office that we love having you around. And, and while that does provide job security for me, it doesn't really stroke much of my, you know, college graduate degree earning ego either. <laughs> you know, like you, you want to be appreciated for some of the intellectual contributions you bring to an organization and not just the jocularity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Still, I'd take the chance. It's worth it. Man, where did the time go? Well, Scott, to wrap us up, tell us what are your top recommendations of what we could do 
now to start developing levity? Let me tell you three things that people can kind of focus on. Three things they can focus on in terms of this idea of lightening up and having more levity in their lives and, and at work everywhere. It has to be a holistic approach. It can't be departmentalized at all or compartmentalized. It's everywhere. There's three words. They're cute. They're, they rhyme, but I, I do use them. Latitude, attitude, and gratitude. I, you know, after years after I wrote The Levity Effect, I went through it and I thought, boy, I really should have written this instead of what I wrote, or at least added a whole other chapter. But latitude, attitude, and gratitude. Very quickly, latitude is what it sounds like. It's what you allow others to get away with, so to speak, in a work environment or whatever. It's not freaking out when people want to joke and laugh and to make light of things and or just loosen up and lighten up. It's letting others flex their humor muscles. Attitude is what you personally, your attitude, what you contribute to the levity mix at work or where whatever other associations. So it's your sense of humor. It's your sense of play. And that's where I talk about, you know, discovery and exposure and application and all of those things, your sense of humor. The final piece of that puzzle, interestingly, most people will kind of balk and go, well, what does gratitude have to do with levity and humor? Well, very little to do with humor, but a lot to do with levity because levity is lightening up. And for a lot of people, the ability to say thank you and appreciate others and to be sincerely grateful is lightening up. Like they just kind of, they're wired to say, well, we're paying, you get benefits. You have all these nice perks. Why do I need to personally offer you more ego strokes or whatever by thanking you for what you do? But nothing, nothing builds and lifts work environments and a culture's morale, performance, proficiency, retention, there's so many other things than employee recognition, than being the kind of supervisor or manager or director, VP, whatever level that regularly and, and mostly informally is just patting backs, saying thank you for this, that, and the other. Really appreciate you staying late and helping to finish this project. I know you needed to get home to your kids. We'll try to make it up to you. Thank you so much. That's a huge part of levity and lightening up. And that's the one that most people can start tomorrow. The latitude, the attitude, some of those things take time to kind of morph into and figure out, but everyone knows how to say thanks. And everyone can be specific about what they're thanking people for. And those are the three things that you can start working on tomorrow and say, I'm a levity leader. And yet I still am not the funniest person in my house or on my block or anywhere but I still live with levity. I love it. And I am certainly not the funniest person in my house. Who is? Who's the funniest in your house? Oh, my 10-year-old has me beat. <laughs> he's, he's one of those that started reading at three and has consumed, I think his, his first book series that he read when he was four was Calvin and Hobbes, every oh. single one. So he's well on his way. That is so cool. I, I, it reminds me as a kid, I, I read every Mad Magazine every month for 10 years and all of those comic books and they do, they kind of inform. But what I find interesting that you said about him is that he's, he's cause I know who you're talking about. He, he comes off as a very smart child, very well-read, very intelligent. And what you will find quite often is that the most intelligent people, book read, or pr from practical experience or whatever, wh wherever they're getting their smarts, 
if they will unleash their humor, it is deadly because they're so smart that their wit is just razor sharp. It's got a whole body of work to draw from. I know a guy who was the, the dean of the business school at UVU, and now he's somewhere, he was also at University of Hawaii. He was a good friend of mine growing up from high school on 4.0 student, back of whatever, I don't, you know, all those things, all the degrees. He's a doctor of a million things. He's one of the smartest people I know, and he makes me laugh. I don't just think he's funny. He makes me laugh because he is so smart that his humor is very clever and he can go in any direction, physical, dry, British, slapstick, obvious, ironic. So that little boy of yours, as smart as he is, will probably end up being a very usefully funny professional someday in whatever field he ends up in. I'll send him over to apprentice with you. You'll end up teaching me, I guarantee it. Oh, Scott, thank you so much. This has been awesome. My pleasure, really. I, I've just sat here and talked. I apologize. I haven't heard a word out of you. <laughs> it's for the best. <laughs> and thanks to all you out there listening for joining us. Remember to share this episode with someone who would enjoy learning about levity and humor. And if you're a decent, wholesome person, you'll rate the podcast as well. <laughs> Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on Skilled by Design.